And we all survived. We weren't near the car crash, for those of you wondering. We were, well, we were near it. We were like three blocks from it. But in New Orleans, that's really far. Three blocks is really far, so we, we were good. So if you would like to give today, we do have our jars out. We have two giving jars you can drop it in, or you can go online on our website and give online as well. Um, if you haven't seen yet on Facebook, Revel is a new restaurant here in the city. It's on Carroll, and it's actually right across from the tattoo shop. So Miss Bibby, I mean, in Bimmy and Jay, we were all standing right in front of Revel. It's a, lo um, a local mom and pop shop that just opened. And so they are interested in supporting us here at Miss City Vineyards. And so every time you eat there in the month of March, if you mention Miss City Vineyards, um, they are going to give 10% of their profits, I guess. On, on that ticket, yeah. Yeah. 10% um, will go back to Miss City Vineyards. So we're, of course, encouraging everybody to eat there. I actually haven't been. Brian's been a couple times. He said this would be very yummy. So um, try to hit that up this month and tell your friends and family and, you know, maybe some guys can hit up tonight. Not for sure. Go to Rebel. And it's also a great way for us to partner just with a business in the city. That's one thing that's really our heart is supporting the Miss City community. And so by going there, you're doing two things. At and once. That's it. That's it. I'm done. Very good. Thank you. Some amazing announcements. Amazing. What's that? Done with a flare. Of course. Of course. And I really, uh, I missed you guys last week. I mean, the ones I saw at Endymion, but the ones who weren't able to make it out to Endymion, two weeks is a long time not to hang out together. So uh, we did have the Bulldog Thursday night, so a few of us were able to hang out together there. Um, we'll keep those kinds of things going regularly. But welcome back. Glad we're here. Uh, we're going to, here's what we're going to do. Over the next uh, five or six weeks here, as we are in the season of Lent now leading up to Easter, uh, we're going to start a series tonight uh, called To Change the World, uh, subtitled Lessons in Presence. And uh, I'm very, I'm incredibly excited about this particular series because what we're going to do over the next five or six weeks, and, and I encourage you, if, if, you're, if you're able to make all of them, I think that it would be good because they're going to run together in many ways. But over these next number of weeks, we're really going to be laying out a foundation for uh, how we as a, as a community of faith here in Mid-City are looking to move forward, how we're looking to connect with the, the larger Mid-City community and, and how uh, what we are hoping to really accomplish and do together and be together as a church. So I, I do think that this is going to be foundational for us. We're, we're one year old. We're one year old last week. And so uh, now as we go move into this second year, I think that this is going to be a really important, um, important number of weeks for us. So tonight we're going to start this particular series, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we're going to look into the scriptures for, for a minute together here. So Lord, we welcome your presence here. And uh, God, I, I thank you that you, I, I really, I'm grateful that you've brought us together as a community of faith right here in, in the heart of Mid-City and Lord, I thank you for all the, all the faces that have been with us for some time now and, and for those who, who are new to this particular community of faith. And Lord, tonight as we move into this series, as we move throughout this, this time of Lent, God, I ask that you would begin to awaken our hearts to new ideas and, and perhaps even uh, for many of us it will be new ways of, of seeing what it is to actually live 
the Christian life out in, in, the, in the public square together. And so we welcome you again. We ask that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds uh, through the scripture, uh, through, through the words that I speak this evening, through the words that you speak to our hearts, through, through the things that we say and, and do with one another here in this gathering and, and at dinner tonight and, and all along the way. So we welcome you and we bless you, Lord. Amen. So we're going to look in Matthew uh, tonight to start this thing out. And in Matthew chapter 4, uh, you might be uh, familiar with this particular passage, but uh, this, is what, this is how Matthew writes the passage. He says that uh, after Jesus was baptized, he was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says that he went out into the, the, the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And then after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, the scripture says that he was hungry. Uh, apparently, Matthew felt the need to write that part that he was hungry. But I, for me, it, it goes without saying. Uh, 40 days, no food. He was hungry. I usually miss lunch and then I'm angry. So this is kind of uh, then he says this. He says the tempter, uh, the devil, the accuser, the Satan came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, it's written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him on to uh, took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it's written. This is now this is Satan, apparently quoting scripture. For it is written that he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him. He said, look, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. And Satan said, I will give all of this to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to Jesus. Now, we're going we're gonna to leave the passage for a minute, and then we'll come back to it in, in just a little while. But there's, there's a little bit of a setup here that, that I want to give uh, so that we can understand maybe a little bit more what's happening in this account in the desert, in the wilderness. Now, keep in mind that Jesus... Always remember that Jesus is God in the flesh. We've 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 learned and we know as followers of Christ, this is a this is a, a an Orthodox Christian understanding and belief that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So when Jesus Christ comes to uh, the planet, when Jesus Christ is is walking on the planet, he is walking on the planet as fully as a man. It says in Philippians that he laid aside his his uh, godness, so to speak, and he took on the form, the flesh and blood of a human being, and he walked the planet as a human being. But the reason Jesus came to the planet was to show humanity what God looked like. See, before that, people only had, uh, uh, they only had certain uh, understandings of what God looked like. They had the particular Old Testament scriptures, they had some traditions, they had some thoughts, but they didn't fully understand and know what God really looked like. And so Jesus comes to show us what God looks like. Now, when Jesus comes uh, to the planet 2,000 years ago, he, he, he walks onto the scene in ancient Palestine, or what we now know as ancient Palestine. And in ancient Palestine, at the time, the, 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 
the land was ruled by the Romans. Okay, so the Romans were the ones who were in charge. At that point, they were basically in charge of, of, most, of most of the known world. The Romans are in charge. But before the Romans were in charge, keep in mind that, that the Greeks were in charge. Remember Alexander the Great? And his whole, his whole desire was to Hellenize uh, the, the, entire, uh, the entire hemisphere, uh, to basically to make it Greek. So before it was Roman, it was Greek. And before it was Greek, it was under Persian rule. And before it was under Persian rule, it was under Babylonian rule, and, and so on and so on and so on. So what happens when Jesus comes onto the scene in Palestine, first century Palestine, Jesus is coming into a very pluralistic culture. And, and what do we mean by that? It's a culture that has lots and lots of centuries of influence, different types of influence over the centuries. Roman influence, Greek influence, uh, Persian influence, Babylonian influence. And so Palestine basically was like this, this gumbo of sorts. And we know what that is. You know, it's, 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 it's got all types of uh, forms of art and all types of forms of language and thoughts and ideas. Again, it's a pluralistic culture. Now, Jesus' goal, when Jesus comes to the earth, is to show humanity what God looks like. Uh, Jesus' goal is to show humanity God. And so what happens here is Jesus makes his way off to the desert. Now, I find it interesting that the scripture says that he was baptized, and then the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. So the spirit is, is leading Jesus, which means that Jesus is, from the very beginning, he's showing us as human beings what it's like to follow the lead of the spirit. And so he, he follows the lead of the spirit. And when he, when he gets into the desert, it says that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, it doesn't say until after he fasted that he was tempted by the Satan. So what do you think possibly there's a bit of speculation, but because I believe that Jesus was absolutely fully human, then you could almost put yourself in, in his shoes in a sense. What do you think Jesus was doing during that 40 days? You know, we might say, well, he was, he was praying. Uh, yes. But how do you, you know, like, how, how do you, when you try to set aside 30 minutes to pray, how, how does that usually go for you? And do you usually pray for the whole solid 30 minutes or do you usually like pray for a minute and then drift for five or six and then come back and maybe pray for two minutes? And OK, well, that's because you're human. Jesus probably did some of the same things, So we can't really say he was just praying for 40 days. Uh, what were some other things? He might have been praying. He was probably thinking. Uh, what was he about to do, though, after the desert? After the wilderness, his whole goal was to come out of the wilderness and to what? To begin teaching, to begin preaching, to begin the process of making God obvious to those around him. So perhaps those 40 days he was using to maybe plan. I mean, is it possible that Jesus goes off into the wilderness to actually think through, what am I going to do to make God obvious to the people who are in this culture? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a giant gumbo. It's, I mean, they're, they're, people understand that there are Roman gods and there are Greek gods and there's Artemis and there's Epaphroditus and, and, and there's, there's Caesar who is known as a god. I mean, he's the emperor of Rome. Uh, what am I going to do, me, Jesus, what am I going to do to, to walk out of the wilderness and make God obvious? How am I going to show people what God looks like? Perhaps that's part of what Jesus is doing in the desert. It's coming up with a game plan of sorts in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
if we think on this for just a second, let's, I want to look at this a little bit just from a, a sociological standpoint because I want to make a few comparisons between Palestine in the first century as Jesus was walking into it and the culture that you and I currently live in today in America in 2017. But I think in order to actually effectively make these arguments, it needs a little bit of, of setup along the way. So let, let me do that for a minute and then we'll come back to the scripture and I'll give you a little bit more here. Again, keep in mind, a pluralistic society, it's a, it's a sociological term, but a pluralistic society is a society that has different cultures blended together into one society. Now, in a pluralistic society, all of these different cultures, thoughts, and ideas don't necessarily have to agree, but what they do share, they don't necessarily share that agreement, but they share a common experience. They will all live in the same place at the same point in time. I would suggest to you that America today, the, the America that we live in, is a very pluralistic society. Our cities are made up of people with different values. Our cities are made up of people with different backgrounds. Our cities are made up with people with different traditions, different cultures. All of these things that, that come together, this is a very pluralistic society. It just is. It, it, it always has been, actually. For, for 200 and however many years now that this has been a country. I mean, cultural pluralism is the attitude that everyone is welcome and, and it's a good thing. You can bring your differences in and that's a good thing. Now, I, I understand um, you know, there are certain things going on politically right now, but if you just look at the history, just look at the history of the country. I mean, what, is, what, does, what does the Statue of Liberty say on it? You know, it's got the, it's got, you know, bring me your poor, bring me your tired. I mean, this is a, a society of immigrants is what it is. I mean, if you're here and you weren't, you're not of Native American heritage, then you're, you, you got here somewhere, some, somehow along the way from somewhere else. Agree? Okay, so, so from the very beginning, this here, this, the country that we live in is a pluralistic culture. And for, for a long time, it wasn't even necessary to be assimilated. You know, you just come in and, I mean, what do you, what do you have? Um, you know, we have different cities in, in, in our culture that, you know, you go, uh, where's Chinatown? Anyone know? Huh? Lots of them. Was it New York? Yeah, Little Italy. Lots of little Italy's. Yeah, I mean, we, we go to these different states. We go, you know, and you can find your Chinatowns, you can find your little Italy's, you can find all your little because we, there was no assimilation that was needed at, at at many points along the way. So, we have cultural pluralism. Now, in this country, we also have religious pluralism. Um, the way this works is you can be whatever religion you want, and originally the idea is that and everyone's respected for it. Now, I, I kind of understand this. This is a country where it is based off of freedom of religion. Now, growing up a Christian, <laughs> I always thought, you know, it's freedom of religion. And what that means is you are all free to choose the religion that I'm a part of. That's kind of how I interpreted freedom of religion. But that's not actually what it means. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's freedom of religion. People can, can, can worship and they can practice their faith in any number of ways however they want to, really. Now, we live in a pluralistic society today. We live in a, uh, it's culturally pluralistic. It is religiously pluralistic. Today, in our society, it is not a society where 
God is obvious, so to speak. Think about how this country, the, the country that we live in, because not all the countries are like this either, uh, but think about how the country we live in today, in this time, in this place, everything is okay. Everything is fair game. Would you agree with that? I mean, like, you, got, you, you, you decide that it's good for you, and then it, it's good, and, and it, it just everyone's supposed to just accept it along the way. Now, this society wasn't always that way. For instance, uh, institutions in America, organizations in America used to have a more Christian culture behind them. You know, there, there were certain things like um, prayer was more acceptable, at, at Christian prayer was more acceptable at certain times in history than it is today. Or it used to be that you would post the Ten Commandments and, and, and that was just acceptable because that was the type of culture. Many of the first people who came to this country were of a Christian heritage or background, and so they brought that part of the culture with them, their, that part of their religion with them. Uh, uh, things like uh, the Pledge of, uh, Pledge of Allegiance, it was written, I believe, in 1945, actually it was way before that, it was adopted in 1945. In 1945 it was adopted, in 1954 they added two words to the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you know what those two words were? Under God. Under God. So it didn't start that way, but nine years after it was adopted for the United States, then they added the two words under God. And so what that was, was that was a push of this, this, this Christian type of culture kind of moving in and trying to orchestrate things in, in ways that they wanted to see, the, the leaders at the time wanted to see things go. Today, God is not as obvious, perhaps, as God once was. But here's, here's something very important. I, I want you to understand this. The people of the past weren't necessarily following God. Uh, you know, the people who put in God we trust on, on money, <laughs> which is kind of a funny thing if you think about it, because <laughs> there's, there's actually one very specific verse in, in the scriptures <laughs> where Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money but we put that on our money. It's kind of a, it's a bit of an oxymoron. It's a little bit backwards. But, but the, the whole idea is there was a time in this particular society where conversations about God might have come up a little bit easier or a little bit more often. Now, it wasn't necessarily that the people of the past were following God, but at least there was a, there was a culture in, in a sense where conversations might have come up. There was a particular framework along the way. And now, it's not that way any longer. Today, 2017, we live in a very pluralistic, culturally pluralistic, a very religiously pluralistic society. And what I have experienced, what I am seeing, what I find is that the church in America seems to be having the hardest time with this. And I would like to suggest to you, Mid-City Vineyard, that... <coughs> Living in a very culturally pluralistic and a very religiously pluralistic society is not that big of a deal for Christians. It's just not. The society that we live in today is not, it's hardly any different than the society that Jesus himself walked around in. And I see today a lot of things with Christians particularly, but there is a, there is a lot of shouting on Facebook. People say things on Facebook that they would never say to your face. <laughs> Christians especially. 
But there's a lot of there's a lot of shouting and there's a lot of, you know, we got to we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this. And 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 I wonder, I mean, and I, what if so Jesus goes to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and he thinks about what is it going to look like to to reflect God in this culturally and religiously pluralistic society? What if we took the next 40 days throughout Lent and actually gave that some real thought? Instead of just going by every whim and, and thing that flies by, you know, whether it's on social media or, or, or whatever the next popular preacher might be saying or whatever the, the next best-selling Christian book might be saying. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that I would suggest is just getting in the church's way of actually being the church. And, and here's, where, here's, here's what I mean by that. The church is trying to figure out how do we now, in this religiously and culturally pluralistic society, how do we make God obvious? And here are the three things that I have witnessed more than anything else. The first thing is we need to defend against. We need to defend against all the stuff that seems to be coming up against God. We need to fight all of God's fights, and we need to, you know, and so let's defend against. Or the other thing is, well, we need to become more relevant to. We need to become more relevant to the, the society in, in certain ways. And then the third thing is, we need to withdraw and we need to um, uh, practice purity from the society. Now, I, I, would, I would suggest that none of these are the best ideas. But these are the, these, this seems to be the best that we've been able to come up with to this point. And, and so I want to walk, walk, work through these quickly, and then I want to give us a, a different idea, maybe a different paradigm to begin to work through over the next 40 days or so. To defend against, maybe one of the most popular ones, but there's this general thought that we must defend the faith. Christians must defend the faith. And so what ends up happening is, you know, Christians begin to erect walls. Christians begin to circle the wagons. Christians begin to, to do things that, that defend against the culture as it is. And one of, the, one of the major issues here is that what we end up doing is we begin creating our own cultures. Now, you've seen this for years and years and years and years. But uh, I consider this to be very much like um, uh, we create parallel universes, so to speak. You know, and so the world, the world, what you know, uh, has, you know, uh, their gems, and so now Christians, you know, they go and start Christian gems, and the world has, you know, their clothing lines, so Christians go and start, you know, Christian clothing lines, and the world has its schools, so Christians go and start Christian schools, and the world has its radio, and so the world or the church goes and starts Christian radio, and so what we end up, you know, and, and then you have the world has its. Uh, basketball teams and baseball teams for your kids and so then the church goes and starts you know christian baseball teams for their kids and and here's what ends up happening a lot of times is we create this parallel universe but it runs like this and when we run like this we end up never intersecting with the very world that christ loves with all his heart you see and so we just we just run like this And so what we do is we try to get our position back. You know, we'll defend against, and we'll get, we'll get our place back in society, whatever that might be. We, maybe, we, maybe what we need is we need more of us. Maybe what we need to do is elect more Christians for offices, or we need to get more Christians and more positions to do more things. And, and so what we do is we, we try to, it's like a chess game, and we're trying to do all of these things 
But the whole time what we do is we're, we're defending against because most of the time it's out of fear. It's out of, it's out of the fear that we're going to lose something. We try to, we try to legislate. You know, maybe we can legislate morality. Think about that one for a minute. I, and, we, and, and Christians uh, fall into this a lot, you know, but we try to legislate morality. We try to legislate things like who can marry who or, or, or who, can, who can do. I mean, we, we could go through a whole list of things. And legislation, okay, legislation, you have this thing. Governments legislate and things. But the problem with just legislating morality is that it never touches the hearts of men and women. I mean, you can legislate it till you're blue in the face, but it never touches the heart. You can legislate against abortion. I, 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 I stand, in many ways, I stand against uh, abortion. I, I don't want women to have abortions. And, and, and I understand that you got, uh, there's, this is such a, uh, such a huge thing. I get that. But you know what? I don't know, you can legislate against that, but that never touches the heart of a woman. That never touches the heart of a man who was engaged in, in, in with this one. That never touches the heart of the child. It never, you know. So there have got to be, for Christians, other ways to think through these processes. So we defend against. That's one way. Another thing that we do, uh, or a different way that we approach this, is, is that we decide. Well, let's just. Let's just go over and above trying to be relevant to the culture. You know, it's a, it's a culturally pluralistic, religiously pluralistic culture. Let's, let's go up above and against being relevant to it. The problem with this is that most Christians in this camp end up compromising just way too many things. And by that, what I mean is there is this thing about followers of Jesus where Jesus asks us to live lives that are, in a sense, set apart. But it's not the set apart like, oh, higher and holier than thou. It's more like the set apart stuff like, Hey, you know what? Um, I've surrendered uh, my my um, my intimate life uh, to God. You know, hey, I've I've surrendered my desire to uh, retaliate evil for evil and my my desire to to um, enforce violence upon other people. I've surrendered that to God. These are radical things. Would you agree? And so, like, but when we're trying to just be relevant to, we end up compromising in oftentimes that that movement towards God, so that we don't look any different. We don't look like the reflection of the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, historically, historically, Christians have been known for their, um, their desire not to slander others. Historically, Christians have been known for their, uh, for not being sexually promiscuous. Historically, Christians have been known for being nonviolent, but when we start to when we start to just assimilate in and just do and, and be like everyone else, we, we lose some of that salt and light. We lose some of that distinctiveness. Christians have historically been known as the people who serve the poor, and there's there's some very foundational things that that Christians have been known for, and and, and we, we we want to maintain some of these distinctives. Then the third thing is that, that often, uh, the, the third one is that Christians will oftentimes um, practice this purity from, this withdrawing from the society. There, there are certain teachings out there that say, you know, you don't want to go back in the world because it might get on you. <laughs> That's weird. Um, 
I don't, I, I don't really understand that because as followers of Christ, I mean, that, that's the whole thing is like, Jesus is like, no, we're not putting this thing under a, under a bowl, you know? This is like, this is like, this is big news. Um, this is a lamp on top of a hill. And, and darkness doesn't put out light. Light dispels darkness. What, what, what are you hiding from? We, we need not hide. So let's go back to Jesus for a second. 40 days in the desert. He fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. He's planning. He's thinking. He's deciding, what am I going to do? What's my game plan? How are we going to make God obvious? He's engaging in conversations with God the Father. He's engaging in conversations with, with the Holy Spirit. Well, what are we going to do? What is this going to look like? And after 40 days and 40 nights, it says in the text that now the devil, the Satan, uh, the accuser, comes to tempt him. I don't know about you, but I always grew up thinking that when the, the, the Satan comes to tempt him, I always had this, this picture of like you know Satan with the horns and the pitchfork and the tail just kind of walking up and saying, hey, Jesus. But the more I think about it, if that's how Satan actually tempted Jesus, I mean, it would have been a darn shame if Jesus really would have failed that temptation. Because anytime, if, if Satan ever walks personified with red horns and tail and a pitchfork, I want to encourage you to realize that that's a temptation. He's not here to like, you know, so, so that's not how this happened. See, how do you, how are you tempted when you're tempted? Are you? You're most, uh, let me help you with that, but more, more often times than that, you're tempted in what? You're tempted in your mind first, and that's where it starts. And it, you're tempted in your mind, and it moves through, and, and eventually, I mean, what, what, if it comes to pass, you act it out. I believe that that's exactly how Jesus is tempted, but what does it look like? Maybe Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights, he is hungry. And so what comes into his mind is, and I'm, I am hungry. Um, I could turn these stones here. I could turn them into into uh, bread. That would that would be cool. And and maybe the thoughts, maybe. And I know I'm taking some liberties here, so go with it. But maybe when those thoughts come, Jesus' thoughts are moving towards. Now, maybe this is one of the ways I could make God obvious. I mean, people need bread. People are hungry. People are starving. And I I could I could leave the wilderness now. And and if it works for me, it could work. I could really attract an audience this way. Well, you know, we could go out and I could just I could just start doing it. This is how I could attract my audience. And 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 all of a sudden he's, he's thinking and then he says, you know what? No, I don't want to. I don't want. That's not how I'm going to grab my following. I, I don't want to go that direction. So, no, Satan, it, it says that that I, all I need is the word of God right now. And so back away. That's that's not the direction I'm going to go. And then it says that the next temptation is that it says Satan led him up to the top of the temple. Now. The temple, you need to understand this, the top of the temple in Jerusalem would have stood at about eight stories tall. And it's just a little, the, the part that's eight stories tall, it's just a little part. So when you read this passage, try not to get in your mind the actual image that Jesus and Satan are literally hanging out at the top of the temple. Because they're not. This is more of something that's more than likely taking part place in Jesus' mind. This idea that, you know, he kind of has this image of him, himself at the top of the temple. And, and Satan is saying, now listen, if you were to throw yourself down, how, you know, this could be superhero-esque. Throw yourself down. Go do some really cool kind of things that will attract an audience. I mean, you want people to, to know that you're God. You want people to know what's up. Go do these kinds of things. 
Can you imagine, Jesus, if you throw yourself off the temple and you call all the angels on high to come and, and save you and deliver you right? How, how amazing would that be? How many people would, would follow you? And Jesus seems to just push this off to, no, we're not going to do it with, with, with charismatic tricks like this, showing off uh, superpowers and those kinds of things of jumping off of buildings and, and things like that. We're not, that's not how we're going to do it. And so then there's another temptation. And, and he says, well, let's go, to the, let's go to the top of this mountain, wherever this mountain is. And you look out and you can see all the kingdoms of the world and all these kingdoms. If you will just bow down to me, these kingdoms will be yours. And this one, you would, you would dig a little bit more uh, in, in uh, theological studies and commentaries and things like this. But one of the things that many think is happening here is that this is a, this is a temptation to bow down to the powers of darkness. And the powers of darkness are driven by exercising power over other people. The powers of darkness are driven by violence and, and moving on top of people to dominate people and to suppress people and to oppress people. And so Jesus is saying, no, you know what? The kingdoms of the world, I will not obtain the kingdoms of the world through violence. I will not obtain them through exercising power over others. Get away from me, Satan. I'm not going that route. These are not the ways that I'm going to make God obvious. What makes God obvious, and this is where Jesus is going, what makes God obvious is human beings who have the life of God in them, who are living their lives, reflecting the beauty and the glory of God wherever they go. This is what makes God obvious. What does not make God obvious is some high-powered celebrity who is trying to be relevant. That does not make God obvious. You know what that makes obvious? That makes the high-powered celebrity obvious. Think about how this works in our world. This is what, this is what works in our world. The high-powered celebrity who's trying to be relevant and do all the fancy stuff, they're making themselves obvious, not making God obvious. Jesus' mission is to make God obvious, and the way he's going to make God obvious is by allowing his life, his everyday, ordinary life, be driven by the love and life and presence of the Spirit of God living in him, through him, with him. Our culture today, the culture we live in here, right here in America, it's different than it has been in the past. And I think that is just fine. And I desire that you would think that is just fine. You, we don't, listen, and walk with me through, through these kinds of things, because sometimes I, I, I make these statements and, uh, and, and sometimes I, I want you to scratch your heads, but we don't have to fight to get prayer back in school. We just we we don't have to fight that fight. We we don't have to fight, you know, one day they're going to take whoever they are, they're going to take the words under God back out of the pledge of allegiance. Just bet your bottom dollar it's going to happen. And you know what? When it happens, you don't have to go, "Oh God, no. Th that's that's it. What are we going to do?" Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the same thing the next day that we did that day and the day before. We're going to live by the presence of God that dwells within us. We're going to take care of one another. We're going to take care of our neighbor. We're going to take care of the poor. 
We're, we're going to be formed in our hearts and in our minds in the ways of the kingdom of God. We're just going to keep doing what God has asked us to do. And God doesn't necessarily, nowhere do I ever find that God asks us to fight for prayer in schools. Or nowhere do I ask that God asks us to fight for the, the words under God to be in the Pledge of Allegiance or the words in God we trust to be on the money. What I see is God says, listen, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and me, so come follow me. And reflect my beauty and reflect my glory and walk in this path. So what are we going to do to make God more obvious? Here, here it is, and then we're going to I'll wrap it up. First thing is I think we need to come to terms with our culture. If you haven't done so already as a Christian, I think that that's very important, that we come to terms with our culture. It has changed. It's okay. And now, as a community of faith, how will we live in it? Jeremiah 29, 4 through 11 is an uh, incredible, I love this passage. Let me read this to you, if I can find it. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is, this is how it's written. Uh, in the Message Bible. This is the message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God, to all those who I've taken to a new city. Build houses and make yourselves at home. Put in gardens and eat what grows in the gardens. Marry, have children, encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in the city and not waste away. Make yourselves at home there and work for the city's welfare. Pray for the city's well-being, and if things go well for the city, things will go well for you. How cool is that? <laughs> God is just saying, listen, and, and this kind of goes back to our Seeds and Souls series, but here's the thing. This is going to take a while. This is going to take a while. And what I believe, and this is for our church, and this is where we'll be for the next four or five weeks, but I believe that this is what God's calling us to. I believe that God is calling us, Mid-City Vineyard, to be connected to this community and to get comfortable learning in this community what it looks like to serve one another, to serve the community, and to work for the welfare of the community. As, as a community of faith, this is, what, this is why we planted this church, and this is what I think God is saying to us. Get comfortable. You're going to be here a while, and if you will plug in for the long haul, then you, you'll, you'll see fruit. You'll, you'll see because you'll, be, you'll, you'll have opportunities to, over time to make God obvious. The second thing is that we not become nostalgic about the past. I, I hear that a lot. Oh, it used to be. It used to be. It used to be. I think the key words there are it used to be. <laughs> yes, it used to be. Um, and it's, it's not going back. And most of the time when people refer back to it used to be, it was a time before most of us were alive anyway. And we don't really, you know, it, it's just kind of, it used to be. Well, here's where we are now. So let us learn what this is and what's God doing in this. And then third thing, and again, I, I kind of, I think I jumped the gun here a minute ago, but stop trying to fight the culture so much. Because what it does is it forces us, it puts us in a place of trying to prove ourselves right instead of 
just opening our eyes and beginning to allow the Holy Spirit to show us where the Holy Spirit is already moving, ebbing, flowing, working. Because I promise you, as we open our eyes, we will begin to see more and more that everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit is working. Everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit is creating space and creating place between you and between the other person. The Holy Spirit is always moving on the hearts and minds of people. And so we don't have to spend so much time fighting against as figuring out, God, what are you doing right here? So what I think it comes down to, and this will be, this will be our, our thing for the next number of weeks, but it comes down to literally being a faithful presence. What does it look like to be faithfully present in the society in which we're planted? What does it look like to be faithfully present? Faithfully present to God and faithfully present to the other. So that there's this thing that's, ha- actually it turns more into a triangle. There's this thing that's happening. What is God doing and what does it look like to be planted, to be connected, to be aware, to be faithfully present? See, I think this is exactly what Jesus did. He was faithfully present everywhere he went. I mean, do you notice that in the scriptures that we have, Jesus just, whenever he was in a situation, he was fully in that situation. When he was in a conversation, he was fully there. When he was in a place or a space, he was fully there. He was faithfully present, always looking for what God was doing. Always looking for what the Spirit was saying was doing. And that's what I believe God's calling us to. So for the next couple of weeks, this is where we'll be. We're going to actually um, look at a couple of different things that make us as the community of faith distinct. And we're going to talk about practices in the community of faith that that uh, I believe that the Spirit of God has called the church to practice together and to get good at together so that we can then practice these things out in the community where, where God is, is always sending us. So why don't we stand? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let us stand for a moment just in, in silence for a minute and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, I know in our I know in our group here, I know firsthand that there are a few who could really benefit from prayer. And so tonight, I'm going to ask you if you are just going through it right now, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, I, I want to invite you to to stick around for a few minutes and allow us to pray with you and to pray for you. Um, And so uh, Newman and Shay are going to be able to step in here and and pray and um, Christy and Nelson and Denise. And so, you know, we just we have some folks that are going to pray for you. I'd like for you to to take advantage of that. Why don't we just stand for a moment in silence and then I'm going to close this out. Holy Spirit, as we as we move into this moment of silence, just pray right now, Father, that you would. uh, You would speak to us. as a group and, and individually right now. And we just, our prayer is, Spirit of God, for us personally right now, what are, what are you saying to us? What are you inviting us into? And so we just give this space to you, Lord.
And Lord, as a church, uh, our prayer is that you would, Lord, we, wanna, we want to know you more. We want to develop uh, more genuine and, and, and deep relationships with one another. And Lord, we want to be faithfully present in this community. Lord, we want to see businesses in this community do well. We want to see uh, uh, schools in this community do well. Lord, we want to see our neighborhoods uh, become safer environments for ourselves and for our children. Lord, we, we want to see these things happen. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to, to breathe on us, fill us with ideas, fill us with creativity. But, Lord, that we would, we would move and ebb and flow in what you're doing, not go try to pave our own way. But, Lord, that we would follow your lead. So we ask for more of that, Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. And so, church, tonight, as we conclude, I, I just want to say to you, may, may the Lord God bless you. May the Lord God cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord God open your eyes this week to see what the Spirit of God is doing at your work, at your gym, at the restaurants where you eat. I pray that the Lord God would open your eyes to the space between you and the person you are speaking to, that you would begin to see the beauty of the Spirit in those places and in those spaces. And this week as you go, may the Lord God bless you. May the Lord God give you peace. And so church now, even tonight, as you walk from this place, may you reflect the beauty and the glory of God. May you carry the presence of the Creator God with you everywhere you go. And may the Lord be glorified through our lives as the church. And I pray these things tonight in the name of God the Father. Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer, don't, don't jet out. Come and let, let somebody pray with you, because I, I know that stuff's going on. And um, if you're with us for the first time tonight, if you don't mind filling out the Connect card and uh, handing that to myself or Christy or putting it in the mason jar, we'd appreciate that. Uh, and go eat at Revel. You should do that. That's really uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Bless you guys.
in the middle of the crap, man. It's hard to get in and out. To get out, we have to go all the way to the French Yeah, it's not like you can't even just take a right on the side of the interstate and go down to Chapatula and turn. They make a cross all, all the way through the warehouse district and come back around. So, we're getting to go almost all the way to Canal. Wednesday to Wednesday. Oh. We went to Margaritaville. Yeah, we, we got out of there. We didn't even stay. Well, we missed you, but I'm glad you got out of there and had fun. You know, man, I, I just want to say, you get better every week. Oh, what? Like you feel like you get more 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 comfortable, you know? I mean a year into it, you still get better every day. It's taken me a while to in this I don't know. I was really comfortable over at dinner when I was right. But it was I was like still think. I mean come on, your dad's been here so long you feel like you own the place. Yeah. <laughs> How's he doing, man? He's doing well. Everybody have a little First thing I'm ever doing by myself. They told me that when they
Is that the second or third time I've asked you to read it?